Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good Sunday to you. Rashini Rajkumar here. And we have a very special guest co-host today. Dr. Hilden will be back next Sunday for our open line show. But first, let's get to know... Dr. Renji Varghese. He is the medical director for the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare. You'll learn more about him throughout the show today, but we really want you to call in, text in with all of your sleep questions. He might not be able to translate your dreams, but he will tell you lots of things about your sleep. The number 651 651- 989-9226. Dr. Varghese, welcome back to Healthy Matters. Good morning, Roshini. Thank you for having me. All right. So give people a little 411 about you. Um, well, like you said, I'm uh, the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center. I'm a board-certified sleep physician, uh, and I've been doing this for well over 10 years. I love being in Hennepin Healthcare at the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center, Did you know, Rashini, that the Sleep Center was established in 1978, and it's one of the oldest and well-established sleep centers in the country? I did Um, not know that. That's a pretty big deal for Hennepin Healthcare. It's a big deal. I I always like to say it's one of the the jewels of the crown of Hennepin Healthcare. It's just a pleasure to be working at at Hennepin, and particularly this sleep center. I work with talented colleagues. Um, We have a multidisciplinary faculty uh, my, my, I myself, I'm a, I'm a sleep physician, but I'm also a psychiatrist. We also have sleep physicians that are board certified in neurology, in pulmonology. We have a dedicated behavioral sleep medicine program to treat people that have chronic insomnias. We have pediatric sleep apnea specialists. And uh, so um, it's just a, it's a privilege to be here. You know, what's so interesting, as you list off some of your different specialties, yours as well as your colleagues, it makes me realize a lot is going on when we sleep. I mean, it's not just about our eyes. I mean, all the systems are involved. What are some of the common issues with sleep, Dr. Varghese? Yeah, you're right. We're not just closing our eyes and our brains are going into some offline mode. Roshini, that's not, ha- that's not what happens at all. You know, if you can think about it, if we if if we generally get about eight hours of sleep, let's just use that number, about eight hours of sleep that, that we're spending uh, in sleep, that's eight out of 24 hours in a day. That's a third of a day. So in a sense, we spend a third of our life sleeping. Why would our bodies um, be tuned to having to do something that seems 
utterly useless, like sleeping? Well, it's because when we don't sleep, things go offline. Um, sleep is exceedingly important for us to think clearly the next day. Sleep is very important for our cardiovascular health. Sleep is important for our immune health. Uh, and I like to say that sleep is just as important as uh, exercising adequately and having a good um, uh, uh, diet. So the common things that we see in sleep, in our clinic at least, are people that either don't get enough sleep and are sleepy during the daytime. Um, they may have difficulties with initiating or maintaining sleep, which is uh, to uh, what we call insomnia. And then we also have the most common disorder that comes through our doors, which is obstructive sleep apnea. And obstructive sleep apnea is a condition where the muscles in the back of the throat relax and the airway becomes compromised and our airway closes off and we choke ourselves to sleep. Most people don't even know that they have sleep apnea. Um, and it's usually their partners that wake them up to tell them that they're stopping breathing. But it's a serious condition that affects a lot of people and it's the most common thing. It's the easiest treatment or the easiest thing that we can do is to treat their sleep apnea. We could talk a little bit more about that uh, the treatment of sleep apnea as well. Right. Well, and it, it sounds really scary when you think about it, with, when you describe what you just did about what's actually happening physically. So my sense is that really bad sleep apnea, is it true, can cause death? Yeah. So the way that we think about this is if, if, if multiple times throughout the night, our airway becomes relaxed and our tongue may close off and the airway closes off and oxygen isn't getting to our lungs and oxygen then isn't getting into our heart and it isn't feeding our brain. So people that have very serious obstructive sleep apnea have a significantly higher risk for having heart coronary heart disease, um, heart attacks, sudden cardiac death. And there are cases of people who have had severe obstructive sleep apnea that have had cardiac events that may have been related to the, uh, you know, them not being able to take a breath when they're sleeping at night. All right. Well, that is very scary. We are talking with our guest host today. He is Dr. Renji Varghese. He's the medical director at the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare. We are talking sleep today, all kinds of things. How much sleep should you get? Sleepwalking will cover kids in sleep. Sleep talking, what is that? Uh, we have answers with Dr. Varghese. So give us a call, 651 989 9226. You can also text that number. More Healthy Matters when we return. We are back on Healthy Matters. Rashini Rajkumar with you, along with my guest co host today, Dr. Renji Varghese. He's the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center at Hennepin Healthcare. Dr. Hilden taking a much-deserved Sunday off. He'll be back next week for open lines. All right, phone and text lines are open. We're getting calls and texts about sleep. 651-989-9226. Let's go to John in Bloomington. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about me and my sleep habits, but then I have a question about the sleep apparatus that you need to, um, you know, those machines or whatever. Uh, I'm uh, 72 years old. I'm a single man. I sleep alone. Um, I sleep really well, 
I dream every night. My whole life I've dreamt every night, and I remember my dreams in the morning. I get up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom one or two times. I get back to sleep, and I'm dreaming again. Uh, so that is about me. But then I, I want to know, other than the machine that you wear over your face at night, is, isn't there another apparatus that you can have for this sleep apnea that uh, you would wear like a mouth guard? And that's it. Yes, John, thanks for the question. So sounds like you're sleeping really well. I'm glad to hear it. You're dreaming. You're only needing to use the restroom a couple times. And so to touch on what you had asked about, uh, when we were talking a little bit earlier about the obstruct- obstructive sleep apnea, I had sort of teased that obstructive sleep apnea, while it's really common in the population, and sometimes people have severe sleep apnea, it's totally treatable. And so there are different ways of treating it. Sometimes just lifestyle modifications can be helpful, like losing weight, maybe reducing alcohol before sleeping, sometimes even just sleeping on the sides. But um, for more serious cases of sleep apnea, the gold standard treatment is something that you alluded to, which is something called positive airway pressure or CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure. And this is a device that it's a blowing machine that's attached to a hose, and that hose is attached to a little rubber mask that sits on your nose or your nose and your, and your mouth. And it blows gentle, humidified air to keep the airway open so that, that relaxed tissue doesn't close off. So it's just a little bit of an airway device to pneumatically keep the airway open. Now, for the majority of the people, sleep apnea can be controlled with CPAP, but it's not the treatment for everyone, and we get that. So we now have a, well, it's been around for a long time now. We have devices called mandibular advancement devices. These are devices that are custom molded by sleep dentists that snap into your top teeth and bottom teeth and move your lower jaw forward to move the tongue forward and keep the space between the air and the back of your throat open. It's really effective for people that have mild to moderate sleep apnea and it has some good efficacy for people that have some serious types of sleep apnea. It's not for everyone because if you can imagine, some people have a difficult time keeping something in their mouth throughout the night. But these devices have come a long way. They are comfortable. They are now covered by insurance. And we're lucky at Hennepin Healthcare to have um, you know, co- co- collaborate with our sleep dentist, Dr. Haley, for example, De- Dennis Haley is our sleep dentist. And we send a lot of our cases to Dr. Haley and our patients come back happy. So as you mentioned, yes, the mandibular advancement device is another treatment option. There are surgical options to treat sleep disorder breathing or sleep apnea. There's also a device that stimulates the tongue to keep the airway open. And we think of these devices for people that just can't tolerate our, uh, you know, gold standard therapy uh, like CPAP or the jaw device. So thank you for your question. All right, Dr. Verghese, kind of related. This person says, a question for the doctor, is an apnea during an afternoon nap worrisome? I've always awakened with a jolt. I use a CPAP machine in the evening. Yeah, so some people who have sleep apnea that use a CPAP machine at night occasionally might take a nap, and if they don't use their CPAP machine, they may awaken themselves with the sleep apnea event. So if people have a snort arousal where they snore themselves awake or gasp awake, 
that means that even while they're napping, they have sleep apnea. And I just tell my patients, go ahead and use the CPAP machine if you can when you're napping as well, because if you're not, you're probably having your sleep apnea. We want to reduce the number of times that you have those events. All right, we're talking sleep. The number is 651-989-9226. All your questions here with Dr. Varghese. I always will get to you if you call us. We'll try to get to you if you text us. Nancy is on the line for Medina. Hi, Nancy. Good morning. I have a question that kind of relates to dreams and sleep. Uh, Does it mean something if you dream, say, about parents who have gone on and uh, really vivid dreams? Does that mean they're actually visiting you, or is this a whole different type of a subject? (laughs) Nancy, really good question. I love talking about these sort of things. You know, we don't know really what dreams are doing. We know that they're a natural physiologic response or phenomenon in our brain. It could just be that there are random neurons that are firing. It could just mean that we're thinking about things that we think about during our day, but it's in the back of our minds, and now they're filtering on uh, when we're sleeping during or dreaming. To answer whether they're, you know, these people that are visiting you during your dreams That might be more of a metaphysical question that I can't answer and I don't have enough information on, but I hope that the the visitations are pleasant and you uh, are open to it. It doesn't sound like you're disturbed by them, but, you know, dreams can be turned into nightmares uh, and nightmares can be very disturbing and we do have ways of treating nightmares uh, in our center. As I alluded to, we have a behavioral sleep medicine program. Uh, and, and one of the treatments that we have for people that have very vivid dreams or nightmares include something called image rehearsal therapy. Uh, and that doesn't involve using any medications. It's just a sort of talk therapy that allows you to become more exposed to these dreams and write a new narrative for if, if people have nightmares. So really appreciate your question, Nancy. Doctor, you mentioned that uh, eight hours of sleep on average uh, is, I guess, recommended, and you mentioned that's a third of our lifetime, a third of our days. What is a good number of hours of sleep? Is it those eight hours? Because I wish I could get eight hours of sleep every night. Yeah, I think we all would like to. Uh, you know, the National Sleep Foundation, there's a big study that came out a couple of years ago, just looking at a panel of sleep experts from across the world. It took them nine months to figure out what is the appropriate amount of sleep. And I'll kind of go about Go, go through that right now. For a school-aged child between the age of 6 to 13 years old, we recommend about 9 to 11 hours of sleep. For a teen ages between 14 to 17 years old, we recommend 8 to 10 hours of sleep. Everyone else, everyone older than that, we really shoot for that 7 to 9 hours. I love to hear my patients come back and say 8 hours. If they get 7, I'm surprised because, as you know, Roshini, In the United States, the average number of hours of sleep that people are getting is about six hours. And does that mean anything? Should we worry about that? Well, if you're finding that you're sleepy during the daytime or you're just not thinking as clearly, it might be because you're not getting enough sleep. And we find that if people start to get and and make sleep, sleep a priority and they start to obtain that eight hours of sleep, And if they start to notice that their sleep is improving or their thinking is improving, it's probably because they were a little bit sleep deprived. We find we've we've done studies where we've sleep deprived people for less than six hours a night and we had them do testing the next day and we find that their cognitive performance tends to drop off. 
Wow. So lots to get into. We have to take a break, but your calls and texts are coming in. We will get to those 651-989-9226. There's some really interesting ones about dreams. So I want to get into that. And I know we have some sleep talking and sleep walking questions also. So all of that and more when Healthy Matters returns. We are back on Healthy Matters. Rashini Rajkumar with you. Dr. Hilden has this Sunday off, and I am joined by our guest host, Dr. Renji Varghese. He is the medical director for Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare. You can find him online at hhennepinhealthcare.org forward slash sleep. And I'll mention that again later in the show. Your phone calls and texts are welcome. Call us at 651-989-9226. Lots of really interesting texts coming in, doctor. Let's go to this one. A week ago, I woke with a major pain in my belly. It was air. I felt it dissipate over four hours' time. What happened? This person says they have a beard, so I'm going to assume it's a man. They're scared. You know, Rashina, I don't know what this is, but sometimes we do see something called aerophagia, and I'm going to spell that A-E-R-O-P-H-A-G-I-A, and that means we swallow air when we sleep occasionally. And sometimes people start to distend, their bellies distend and they feel uncomfortable and they wake up and they belch. Uh, and it's not uncommon. We see this a lot of times when people use a CPAP machine, not very, it's not too often, but it does. And when it does happen, it's, on, it's, not, uh, it's not pleasant. I'm not sure what this might be in this individual's case, but um, I, I have seen people that when they sleep at night, because they can't breathe through their nose, they tend to breathe through their mouth. And when they breathe through their mouth, they swallow air as they do that. And that may be um, uh, what this individual is talking about. But I would have them see someone before we make any diagnosis. Absolutely. And I will give out the number and uh, website at the end of the show. Ron has this question. Uh, Ron is wondering how important a mattress is for good restful sleep. Are there advantages to foam or inner spring mattresses? And Ron says, is a cooler bedroom temperature better uh, than normal living room temperature? Yeah, these are great questions. I don't endorse any one type of mattress uh, over another. I always say just as long as you're getting enough support from your mattress, uh, if it's uh, uncomfortable, then it's not comfortable. And at that point, you need to do something about that. But I have no preferences over foam versus other types of mattresses. So long as you feel comfortable and your spine and your body is supported, that's the right mattress for you. As far as the temperature in the room, that makes a difference. We find that when our core body temperature starts to cool down at night, that is a little trigger for our brain to say, hey, it's time to get ready to fall asleep. So what what I sometimes recommend people do is to try before bedtime, if you can, a nice hot bath, maybe a couple of hours before bedtime, temporarily increases the core body temperature. But then as that body starts to cool, that can sometimes trigger um, uh, the, the body to go to sleep. So 
One, try and increase your body temperature in the evening time so then it can cool down and trigger sleep and also keep your uh, temperature in your room cool. All right. Okay, we've got lots of calls and texts coming in. Let's go to Kathy in Norwood. Hi, Kathy. Hello. Hello. Yes, go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, I've, I've been wearing a BiPAP for a number of years now, and it's been a rough journey. I ended up in a BiPAP because I'm all freed. I ended up with a big stomach full of air. For, um, then until they got heated hoses, I would get about three hours before the mask was dripping and doing a Chinese water torture. Then um, now I wear the mask. And I still have this problem of getting a decent seal. I got an extra small. I found a cotton liner I can put around it. But that shifts at night, so I wake up because it's tickling my nose. So, I mean, I I sleep better with the BiPAP, but I never get any sleep straight through the night. I'm waking up because of one thing or the other, to just the mask, et cetera. Uh, the doctor was talking about other options. And he said mild to moderate sleep apnea. Um, So if you have more severe sleep apnea, those other options are not uh, available to you or possible is my question. Good. We can hit up on a couple of things that you said. One of them was you sometimes have problems with the seal of your mask. And right there, I would say go to your DME and talk about maybe finding another different mask or your doctor to, to find a mask that might be a better seal for you. Um, you also mentioned the heated hosing, uh, and that's been a uh, revolution in, in improving that rain out or that water uh, condensation that was happening in your, hu- um, in your tube. So most of the machines now come with heated hosing. Um, with respect to the, the alternative treatments for CPAP, uh, I, I wouldn't say that severe sleep apnea, if you have severe sleep apnea, you're not a good candidate. I think that if, if we can treat you, if you were to say, forget it, I'm not going to use the BiPAP at all, some treatment is better than no treatment. And I think at that point, we try and think about these alternative treatments. Um, like I said, the mandibular advancement device, I've had a lot of good luck with Dr. Dennis Haley you know, making these devices for, pe- for people that have severe sleep apnea. And that ranges, right? If it's really, really, really severe, again, some treatment is better than, than no treatment. And some of these surgical options are effective, but they are invasive procedures. Um, there's one particular surgery called the maxillary mandibular advancement surgery, which we do here at Hennepin Healthcare. And for some people, this is curative for the sleep apnea. But again, it's a very invasive procedure, but it's something uh, that... You know, it's it's a treatment that would would be used for uh, if you couldn't use anything else. So there are options. I don't think you have to suffer. I'd say come back in and and see your sleep doctor and and uh, try and find a um, a good treatment. All right, more texts and calls coming in. Rose is on the line from St. Cloud. Good morning, Rose. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I had a sleep study done two years ago. Results were mild sleep apnea due to Medicare. Medicare criteria says no sleep apnea, so thus no coverage for anything um, to treat um, the mild sleep apnea. At that time, uh, 
I just suggested that I try my best to stay on my right side, which I have sciatic pain, which is difficult. So I try to stay on my left side. At this point, I do have daytime sleepiness issues, depending on the quality of my sleep. My sleep at night varies. Um, Oftentimes, difficulty falling back to sleep or sleeping at short intervals. And all of this is reflective. My basic question is, would I benefit from having another sleep study done and does it worsen within a two-year period, two, uh, period that I might be able to qualify? Or you mentioned this, these other devices earlier in the program that might bring the jaw forward. Rose, good question. So you had your sleep study a couple of years ago, mild sleep apnea. Medicare does have guidelines for you know providing a CPAP machine. And we haven't had too many difficulties getting people that have mild sleep apnea with what you said, you have daytime sleepiness. So daytime sleepiness plus mild sleep apnea does allow you to be covered for uh, a CPAP machine. Your second question was, well, do I qualify now? And the answer is you could be. So another sleep study could be to your advantage to determine whether the sleep apnea has worsened, which might put you into that bracket of, of getting the CPAP covered. It sounds like your sleep is disturbed at night, and maybe your sleep apnea is contributing to some of these awakenings at night. So I'd encourage you to see your sleep position again and maybe reevaluate this. All right. Some really interesting questions coming in, Dr. Uh, we have to take a break in just about a minute and a half. So I want to get through a couple quick texts, and then we'll return to the phone lines. One listener asks, I sleep nine hours per night. I never remember a dream. Is this unusual? No, it's not unusual. It's not unusual not to um, remember a dream. You know, let's, let's break this down. We have two stages of sleep. It's called non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM sleep stands for rapid eye movement sleep. And during that stage of sleep is when we have our most vivid dreams. But it doesn't mean that if you don't remember your dreams that you're not dreaming. It's just that you're not remembering them. So there's nothing wrong with whether if you're, you know, uh, not remembering your dreams or you're dreaming. You're likely dreaming. You're just not being awakened during that period of time to recall and remember them. So there's nothing pathologic about this at all. All right. This person says, I'm 64, have issues and many dreams. I talk in my sleep, move my arms and legs, have fallen on the floor during a dream. Sometimes they are scary dreams. What can I do to stop? Well, this is something that's concerning. So injuries during sleep, like falling out of a bed, especially while dreaming, could be a disorder that is readily diagnosable in a sleep center. In fact, our sleep center was the first to identify this in 1986. Um, and I don't know what this is, but it could be what we call a REM parasomnia. And my recommendation is to see a sleep physician to make this, uh, to identify what's going on. It could be simple sleep apnea disrupting the sleep, but I would recommend seeing someone soon. All right, doctor, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and then we'll have our final segment with my guest co-host today, Dr. Renji Varghese. He is the medical director for the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare. You can find him and his colleagues on this website, hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash sleep. Meantime, give us a call or a text 
We will definitely get to you if you call. We'll try to get to your text. 651-989-9226. We are back on Healthy Matters. Rashini Rajkumar with you. We're talking sleep with my guest co-host, Dr. Renji Varghese. He leads the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Minneapolis at Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis and at their adjoining clinics around the state. Uh, he knows a lot about sleep. And unlike my ability to fall asleep, uh, Dr. Varghese, the the timetable on that uh, time with you is going so quickly and we have lots of texts and calls coming in. This person says, talk about sleep aids such as melatonin and or prescriptions. Is it harmful to use them continuously? Great question. So people are using a lot of over-the-counter medications to help them get to sleep. And this also includes alcohol. Alcohol is the number one used um, uh, aid, I wouldn't say aid, but something that people use to help them get to sleep. But the other things that people use are things like um, that have, contain diphenhydramine or doxylamine. Both of these chemicals um, can assist with sleep because they're antihistaminergic. And um, while they may be helpful in the short term, they're not recommended to be used on a long-term basis because we don't know what the effects of the these medications are on the brain for a long period of time. So I always recommend people to um, address their sleep by first with uh, just addressing sleep hygiene. Like I mentioned, we have a dedicated behavioral sleep medicine program, and there's a therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And insomnia is a condition where it's difficult to get to sleep and stay asleep, or you have poor quality sleep. CBTI, this treatment that we have uh, is an evidence-based program that is very effective in helping people improve upon their sleep. So I'd recommend staying off of the over-the-counter medications. And melatonin is relatively harmless, um, but if you're needing melatonin to get to sleep, it suggests that there's something else that's going on. And I would suggest not having to rely on anything apart from behavioral modification to improve sleep. All right, Dr. Varghese, we have a call waiting and many texts. So in the uh, sort of respect for time, I want to go to the caller, but I'll ask Ken from Blaine to be very brief, and then we'll, we will fly through as many texts as we can. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Uh, good morning, doctor. I have a question. Uh, there's been a lot of information in the literature about sleep and clearing the brain, like uh, amyloid and different uh, uh, builds up of plaque that may lead to uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. Could you comment on that uh, phenomena? Ken, I'm glad you asked that question. So you're referring to, um, and this is relatively new, Ken. In the past five years or so, uh, we have discovered the brain's, if you will, plumbing system. And it's called the glymphatic system. And during the daytime, as you can imagine, as our brains are wired and thinking, there's a lot of, you know, toxic metabolites that build up. And during sleep, we find that the brain's glymphatic or plumbing system sort of flushes out these toxins and build up. And as you had mentioned, Ken, one of those toxins or one of those, those proteins is called amyloid. And amyloid is one of those proteins that over time builds up in our brain. And if it builds up in our brain too much, we can develop a process called Alzheimer's dementia. So 
So there's some data to suggest that when we sleep, we're flushing out this amyloid and that sleep may have some protective nature in perhaps slowing down the process of dementia. Now, this is really um, uh, early data, but uh, this is a, a good question. Thank you for your question. All right. We're super tight on time, but this listener says, good morning. Please tell Devin. He always does a great job relating the music to the subject matter. Thank you. Yes, he has a very freakish gift with that listener. All right, Devin, I know you have a really quick question for Dr. Varghese, too. Yeah. Okay, doctor, just real quick. I, when, I, when I go to sleep fine, I all of a sudden get extremely bad anxiety. I start thinking about you know worries I have. I get stressed. My heart beats. My heart beat starts beating really fast. Sorry. Um, do you have any maybe quick fixes for that? I've been recommended apps and, you know, melatonin, of course, and all that. Any quick fixes or stuff that could help me fall asleep? Devin, don't go, don't lay in bed if you're feeling that way. Your body's natural physiologic response to the bed is to say, hey, this is a place for sleep. And this is also a place for thinking. Do your thinking outside of the bed, outside of the bed, do some problem solving, write some things down before you go to bed. If you start to notice that your heart is beating faster, remove yourself from bed. There are things called progressive muscle relaxation and guided imagery that might be one step. And that's one, one little, uh, um, item from CBTI. So thank you. uh, uh All right, Dr. Verghese, let's do a true fire round here. We have in under two minutes to get through several texts. Can severe sleep apnea ever cause seizures? We know that people that have uh, a predisposition for seizures, if their sleep is disturbed, yes, it can increase the chances for having seizures. It alone likely does not cause seizures unless there's a lot of hypoxia associated with sleep disordered breathing. But the answer is sleep disturbances definitely does have an effect on epilepsy. Does a humidifier help sleep apnea? So if we're sleeping in a dry room and uh, our nose is obstructed because of the dryness, a humidifier in the room can improve the nasal congestion. And if we're able to better breathe through our nose, we're better able to breathe. And it may not help sleep apnea, but it might improve upon it just a little bit if we're able to breathe better. How accurate are the sleep stats recorded by a Fitbit? You know, the recent study suggests that they're fairly accurate to determine whether people are awake or asleep, but they have no bearing on what stages of sleep there are. And there, there are different devices that have been tested, but I can't tell you which one's um, on air. But uh, we generally look at them um, with a grain of salt and say, yes, this might look like you're asleep and when you're awake, but nothing more than that. Does grogginess in the morning indicate poor sleep, or is it just an individual difference? It really depends. It could be that there's something happening during the middle of the night, like sleep apnea or periodic limb movements of sleep. It may just be a, an effect of when you're waking up. Your your body clock might you might be waking up at a time when your body's not ready to wake up. So we we determine that by identifying when your circadian rhythm is. So it varies by person to person. Thank you so much, Dr. Vergis. You have been great, wonderful information. I know we'll have you back soon. And uh, open lines next Sunday. Sorry we didn't get to some of our callers and texts today. Just so much great information. And uh, we hope you make it a great week. Dr. Hilden and I will be back next Sunday. Stay healthy. I love you so, and that is-
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.